0: for our demographic it's incredibly important that they can learn a lot of people go to these platforms to try and find resources they try and find information from each other which we crowdsource like speaking from the experience of being a woman like i crowdsource every single day i'm constantly trying to learn about the world around me because a lot of the world around me despite being white and privileged and Access to a lot of things hasn't been built for me. And so how can we design spaces that provide access to that information off the bat? Hey there, it's Megan, and you're listening to Better Product, the show where we celebrate great products and the people and processes that bring them to life. Today, we're talking to Emma Bates. Emma is the co-founder and CEO of Diem, like Carpe Diem. The platform is a new social universe for women and non-binary people so that they can share knowledge and make connections in a safe space. As you'll hear from Emma, Diem has a bold vision of bringing empathy and empowerment to social media so that we can change the conversation about how we all connect online. We're also excited to share that this is part two of an extended conversation. Christian and I explain more of our thoughts on social media and their anti-social media counterparts in part one. So check out that link in the description. Let's get started.
1: Emma, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you.
1: So I I deliberately didn't describe DM because I would love for you to describe it. Um, I think the tagline on the site that just says a new social universe in and of itself is a kind of a powerful, unique statement, but I'd love to hear more about what DM is and what the motivation was for building it.
0: So in short, DM is a platform designed for women and non-binary folks to exchange knowledge via candid conversations. Uh, What we mean by that is we want to design a product that is very intentional. It's social at its core, but the purpose isn't to create a new social network. And it's really to create an alternate space for us to do what we're good at, which is talking to each other about things that we want to learn more about. Very, very simple. Our purpose is really to advance women and non-binary folks through conversation. And so the way we think about building our product is really to take into account like what we love in real life and like, what we recognize to be most of our, or a lot of our most valuable wisdom-rich conversations, uh, which often happen in group chats, over drinks, on walks, in a doctor's office. And so for us, it's really thinking about the possibility of harnessing technology to imagine how powerful we could all become if those conversations could be accessed outside of our immediate circles.
1: Well, that's really well said. So I guess I have a dumb question. And why do you think there's a need for something that's specific around a community like women and non-binary that isn't being served in other of the myriad social networks that exist today?
0: So really the way that we think about this is A lot of the social, well, every major social platform is a fact, have been built or founded by men. That's not a problem apart from when it comes to what that means in a lot of feature sets or a lot of um, technology that if you were, say, a woman like I am, uh, you would just design incredibly differently. And so an example of that being direct messaging. I have a substantial following on Instagram and I get probably 10 direct messages at minimum, every single week uh, from mostly men saying very inappropriate things. If you see, look at my Instagram, it's not remotely suggestive. There is nothing that would incentivize people to message me in the way that they do. Uh, Dick pics, you name it. And... (laughs) why can that happen still? Like why we live in a world where we could build technology very, very differently that protects for those who are commonly harassed in our, in our real world. And so we sort of see a lot of opportunity there in building technology that prevents a lot of that behavior from happening in the first place and doesn't incentivize people to share that way. It's not performative. And I think that certainly um, from our user research A lot of women and non-binary folks are so fed up of existing in places like Instagram, for example. They're so over the performative culture and having to have the loudest voice and their content not being picked up if they're a creator, if they don't adhere to the sort of algorithmic bias of the week. Um, And that's just exhausting. It doesn't have to, we don't have to exist that way. So for our demographic, it's incredibly important that they can learn. A lot of people go to these platforms to try and find resources. They try and find information from each other, which we crowdsource. Like Speaking from the experience of being a woman, like I crowdsource every single day. I'm constantly trying to learn about the world around me because a lot of the world around me, despite being white and privileged and access to a lot of things, hasn't been built for me. And so how can we design spaces that provide access to that information off the bat? Um, And so that's why we're designing for women and non-binary folks is there's so much information and knowledge out there that exists within all of us. And we don't have ways of expressing it or sharing it with each other.
1: I have a a bunch of follow-up questions. I'm trying to figure out which one to go with next. It's a good point right now to maybe bring in what the mission statement that you have on your website that says, quote, the world wasn't built for women and non-binary folks. DM is, and it also mentions the Gloria Steinem quote: "Technology doesn't allow empathy." I'm curious what's behind that statement, and how how you're trying to change that sort of reality, or maybe it isn't a reality. Maybe it is a a state, but it's not the the reality that you believe has to exist. How is DM helping change this sort of non empathetic approach?
0: Speaking to my own experience, if you have lived in the world where you have experienced, say, instances of harassment or unwanted attention or just try to just exist without the external factors, like coming and interrupting you every single day, you have an inherent understanding of, of like a more empathetic approach to, I guess, like how you could change that, how technology could be different if you just understand that those things happen every single day. I think not to discredit like male founders of, of social platforms, but they inherently Don't have those experiences. And so just like coming to the table with a different lived experience um, opens possibilities in how you could approach that technology coming to life. Uh, Things that you would just not do based off of your own lived experience or the experience of the users and the demographic that you are appealing to or you're building for. And that is the same in anything. If you have a different lived experience, you're going to approach things very differently. And I would argue that Women, or binary folks, whoever you are that has experienced some instance of harassment, you come to the table with a slightly more empathetic lens because you know that this behavior exists because you might have experienced it on some level yourself.
1: Do you think the lived experience is, I mean, is it the only way that, you know, something new could come up like the social network? You mentioned the, the white males who have founded the existing social networks and maybe not being empathetic to those things, which makes total sense. So I'm almost asking the counter, though, is the only way really to do that? Do you think having that lived experience?
0: No, I don't think it's having. I don't think it's just having it. I think it's actively seeking it. If you don't have different experiences, like even myself, like I have not experienced like racial discrimination, for example, or discrimination against my sexuality, like, or any of those sorts of things. But it's being open to the fact that those experiences are very present in our world as it is right now. And not to say that, like, if you haven't had any experience at all, you're not open to it. But I do think that if you haven't experienced instances instances of harassment, you're not as far along in terms of, like, asking people how they feel or asking people if they also have thought that. So I think it's more, um, you definitely don't have to have had the experience, but you have to be open to hearing other people's experiences.
1: I'm curious to dive into that that quote, Gloria Steinem of like technology, uh, not allowing for empathy, because it, it strikes me that we are living in this state of technology where it seems to play to the worst of our natural human tendencies or you know, maybe not our proclivities. I don't know what the right word is. I don't think that we all have a tendency to be jerks, but it's doing something that's almost facilitating the bad. But there's some people that make the argument that, oh, Twitter and all these you know, years ago, the Arab Spring or whatever, like, oh, there's all these like really positive things. I personally, <laughs> I have strong views and I I don't know that these things are as positive leaning as they seem. I think it almost, it feels to me, I don't even know if I'm asking a question or if I'm just going to share an opinion you can react to, but it seems to me that... I
0: I love it either way. (laughs) So
1: I, I don't know if I agree or disagree that technology doesn't allow empathy. I think it's almost like a technological deterministic belief to even ascribe that to technology. But I can't ignore the fact that whatever we've done with it has helped make really kind of shitty behavior a lot easier than it is in the real world. And it also seems to make positive behavior harder than it is in the real world. So I don't know that technology doesn't allow for it, but somehow it does feel like the, the reality is it makes bad behavior easy and good behavior hard. So I don't know. That's, that's my, my, my belief, but I I'm curious what you think about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have so many thoughts. I'm trying to figure out which one to go with first around I guess, the bad behavior easier, making bad behavior easier. I think this has a lot to do with what gets picked up and how we quantify success within social platforms. So we essentially, in the platforms we exist in, we have they've tied their financial incentives very closely to encouraging not that common human behavior. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that we are constantly... Encourage, let's take Twitter for example, to have hot takes on everything. Like, no one has that many hot takes. Like, or if they do, like, what are they doing with their day, sort of thing? And to be successful, quote unquote, within a platform, as in the only thing you're striving for is more followers or more likes or retweets or share, whatever it is, you have to produce slightly controversial opinions or be like crazy funny or I don't know, just like you have to be on the spectrum of like really far out there sort of opinions. And that is by the nature of how attention, like they want lots of attention on the platform. They want people sharing stuff. They want eyeballs and they want, I don't know, like all of this sort of controversy fuels their financial incentives as a business. And so I think that a lot of the algorithmic bias that I sort of touched on earlier leads to potentially worse behavior. I do believe that humans are inherently good, but I do also recognize that humans all of us have our flaws. all of us have opinions that are probably incorrect or could be harmful to others and we might not realize it if we haven't expanded our sort of social circles. but at the same time as like these platforms have definitely fueled bad behavior, we also haven't encouraged a balanced perspective to come from us. Like there's a quote, I'm going to completely butcher who this is from, but I think it was Oscar Wilde basically talks about how we like hide our shadows or something like that. And how if you apply that to social platforms, you are hiding your shadow. A lot of the time you're presenting your good, your good self, or you're being enabled to, to not really lean into the shadow. And either way, you're not having a balanced opinion or a, a balanced experience as a human being in a platform. It's a very long way of saying
1: it. I'm thinking about, well, I was trying to Google which quote that was to help you out, but there apparently he used the word shadow quite a few times. So the listener can go figure out which quote that is, but I think your, your summary is good. So when you think about what Diem is doing, so I guess first off, like you said, people are inherently good. I can't empathize with getting the harassment. I can observe what goes on and I'm not, you know, generally it's, it's pretty clear what's going on on the outside, but I can completely appreciate not actually having experiences of vast difference, but from the outside, looking at it, accepting that it is the way it is. I'm curious, what are the things like, how do you change the incentives that start to guide things differently in DM? So you mentioned that with the incentives encourage is bad behavior, and I would almost go up say, having ads that are all click based then makes everything click based. So anything you're going to do is to get clicks, and maybe that's not the best way to encourage engagement. So what's your approach to that to create engagement that isn't driven by that like really basic instinct?
0: It's hard because people are so conditioned to behave that way in platforms. Like we existed in them for over a decade, a lot of us, I would say the way that we're approaching it is, first of all, tying the purpose of the platform to a higher purpose. Um, People really feel that within DM, like sharing your knowledge. We, We use the saying of like, pass your power or like pass on the knowledge sort of thing, like a whisper network as you would in real life. And that really resonates with people. So it's your purpose is to share your knowledge and then invite more people that you also want to have a conversation with to share their knowledge afterwards. Um, and it kind of creates these, not with, you're not whispering or talking very loudly. Uh, you're not having to whisper behind closed doors, but it creates a network um, effect just by a conversation. And so the way that we're approaching it is really very intentional in that your purpose for being there is sharing your experiences. We believe everyone has wisdom from their lived experience for the purpose of other people gaining understanding or, gaining power if we were to use marketing terminology and beyond that it's also create there's so much opportunity around innovation in business models for platforms like ours and really rewarding people for the knowledge that they're sharing or for their contributions to the platforms and we as the company shouldn't be the only one that is like winning sort of thing from a financial perspective. Like you don't get paid anything as an Instagram influencer outside of third parties that might want to sponsor on your your content. So yeah, just flipping ownership, flipping opportunity from a financial perspective and making your financial model match up to what you want to achieve in the platform.
1: That makes sense. And I think when when you're describing engagement, I feel like this is this is kind of stupid, but I feel like I feel like like the existing social networks, like the equivalent of somebody standing on the street and just like screaming in a bullhorn or like somebody, you know, on Fifth Avenue just just like a sandwich board of like the end is near and you're just like, oh, that person's you know, crazy or whatever. And you write them off. But that's like Twitter is almost supporting what you're describing is almost like the rich conversations that happen around like a dinner table or a coffee shop, where if you were to talk that way amongst a group of friends, people are going to stop inviting you <laughs> to go out. So there's almost like this almost social incentive that checks you. And and it seems like that was the mental image I had as you're talking is like, oh, this almost seems more like mimicking what real conversation and, and camaraderie is like in the real world rather than just you know screaming.
0: Yeah. It, you put it a very good way. Screaming is literally screaming. Uh, you're like, I need to speak the loudest. And in a lot of these places, um, if you look at slightly on a tangent, but the crypto space, for example, on Twitter is so masculine. Like the everyone that's talking the loudest and saying the most things and getting the most attention is like, it's very male. And a lot of what we've found is that sort of macro trend on another platform playing out in DM in that some of our most popular live conversations and recorded conversations are all to do with web three and all these people that we've asked them afterwards coming. Cause they're like, I don't know where to learn that like, doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Um, and That is so present across like every topic, I think, or certainly around finance, understanding our bodies, like career, like asking for promotions. It's a very uncomfortable landscape in a lot of those platforms. It doesn't provide opportunity for learning and asking questions and not feeling stupid. I kind of forgot what your original question was, but I just think it's it's very interesting seeing almost like a lot of the behavior that happens in DM or the early behavior we're seeing We're still very early is a kind of like tangential but direct response to people feeling like they don't belong in the same way in these other, say in the crypto space, very masculine spaces.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a sign of me being a a white male, but it didn't even even strike me that the crypto was, was male dominated. But as I think about it, of course it is. Also, you didn't remember my question because I didn't ask one. I just remembered all I did was I just described. I don't know. Whatever
0: you said made me think that. So whatever, we'll go with it. <laughs>
1: so I was just looking at notes too. And, and you call DM a social universe, not a social network. What, what That seems intentional. What, what's behind that?
0: Ultimately, we want to create a whole society like virtual worlds, all these sort of things that are centered around uh, interest areas and common interest points and provide places where people want to spend their time and not spend their whole life, but really come in intentionally engage in something they're looking for support or looking for knowledge on um, and feel comfortable doing so, feeling as though they're actually maybe in a place while they're doing it. So universe is very intentional from a sort of future vision perspective. And also it just feels quite escapism, feels quite nice. It's like go somewhere else, like go learn somewhere else, like go meet people, go exist in a society that has only ever been built for you.
1: That's interesting. And I wonder if it's relevant now, because I I kind of wanted to ask, you know, I know you, you told us before we started the show that you don't have a tech background. And I wondered, how did this come about? How does this idea come about? Then I wonder, well, maybe that is exactly why you have this sort of like arm's length relationship with technology. So maybe it makes it easier. I don't know. But I'm curious, when you think about this differently, how much do you think not being from tech has helped or, or made it harder for you to, to, to create a platform?
0: So my co-founder Divya has over a decade in building digital products. Um, we met at the company we used to work out Away. Uh, so she definitely helps, well, not helps, like genuinely carries us through the like technology side of things and has taught me a lot in the process. But in terms of, yeah, like thinking of the idea in the first place, when you think of products that are inherently social. So for us, we don't really want to describe ourselves as a social network. Our purpose is knowledge sharing, which for women and non-binary folks who we're designing for, that experience of sharing knowledge is inherently social. So we need to like think about social technology very differently. But also if you think about it, like I've been a community builder my whole career, my backgrounds in marketing, partnerships, connecting people, building communities. Why are people who are programmers or engineers the ones that are dictating how we communicate. Why aren't the people that are actually good at building communities the ones that are designing the spaces we should exist in? And and the like. If you think of Mark Zuckerberg, for example, who, yeah, sure, created an insanely successful business. It's hard to deny. He doesn't like. I don't think he's that privy to like what makes a good community. Like he was an engineer, and I think it's very. I think having that outside perspective and having a perspective fostering connections between people makes you think about building technology differently and therefore you can create these different spaces that feel nice like they feel calm and that you want to be there.
1: Yeah, and I would I would probably argue I don't even know that Mark Zuckerberg was intentional about what ended up happening cuz
0: No, I don't think he knew it was going to be successful. <laughs> no,
1: and it was some stupid thing to begin with that had no real thought behind it and it just kind of blew out of proportion and it's a little bit out of control at this point so that's my take on what happened with facebook which i will still continue to use because you can't change the name of something that we we know is still facebook but i think what you said makes total sense i mean and that's aligns where i think i if i get on soapboxes too it's it's the so i come from technology i have a degree that's technology related but i also married a cultural anthropologist and so she that was like the perfect like mix of understanding that I, what I loved about technology was what it did for people. And so to really learn that, I needed to learn people. So I had to take anthropology courses and things like that. But it, one of my criticisms of like STEM and all that has been that it gets a little bit too far away from those sorts of sciences. And you're right, like just because you can code doesn't mean you are the best person to build <laughs> a community-based you know, based platform. I think people like you are actually the future of tech. It's actually people who don't come from that because tech is so cheap and democratized now. My hope is that it's opening up the whole world for more founders like you because that's what it's supposed to be for.
0: I'm obviously biased, but I would agree. We're both biased um... <laughs> and we're, we don't have to worry about it. This is
1: my show and we can be as biased as we want.
0: <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I... I... Totally agree. I think there needs to be so many alternate perspectives. Alternate from mine, alternate from yours, alternate from like everyone's uh, that can come into technology space, social space, whatever, platform space, whatever we want to call it, and build new products from alternate experiences. I think that for us, like DM was rooted in personal experience. Like we created DM because we both had individually had experiences where we wanted something like DM to exist. For me, it was, I had to take plan B for the first time and I'd never taken it before. I had no idea what the side effects were. I'd had previous bad medical history with taking the pill or all of these sorts of things. And, and I was like genuinely scared about what was going to happen. And I didn't have anywhere, like nowhere that I could go where I felt supported where I felt like the information could be credible I was in a forum that was bright green from 2009 and I was in it was 2019 or something like that and I was like why isn't there that place I know the information's out there I ended up I literally surveyed every woman I knew over whether they'd taken it before and that's how I found my answer and that should be at our fingertips like why like we're all connected we're so connected we're overconnected. over connected like Why can't we find this information? So I think it really does, to your point, like the democracy of technology and the access to building it and creating these ideas that we all have. It's not hard anymore. It's not gated. It's pretty easy to do if you find the right resources, the right right people. Um, So yeah, it creates more opportunity for people who have a personal experience, say, to solve it.
1: So I actually relate to that story too. And I was just, but I just couldn't help thinking like every medical thing I've ever looked up, I've ended up on a site that's over 10 years old. And I just don't understand, like, are people not writing about medical issues anymore? Like, did it stop 10 years? Cause I feel like the same thing for me. I've looked up like other surgeries. I've been really scared of like, God, like COVID symptoms. Like I'll go look up any of these symptoms and I get on some medical site that's like 15 years old. And I'm like, how is this even still on the internet? Which is, Just a step above Reddit, which is usually where I end up. And it's usually somebody sharing the most horrific example ever. And then, of course, I think that that's normal. So anyway, not totally relevant.
0: No, I think it it is in a way because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about as we build DM. Like our goal is for in the future, if you identify as a woman or non-binary folks or whoever we end up building this for, like as it expands you should DM it. You shouldn't be Googling something. You should know to DM your question and you will find the knowledge and the well, or you could ask the question within the DM community. And, and I think that that comes back to a problem that I have experienced sounds that like you've experienced with Google, where your quali- the quality of the search results that you get now just isn't that good. Like, yeah, their mission is to organize the world's information or whatever. And like, <laughs> You can't deny that they haven't done that. But in terms of quality versus quantity, it's all paid. It's all like all the stuff you're seeing at the top is to do with SEO. And some of the best content people, people sharing information have no idea what SEO is. Um, and so you're not going to find their information.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. So let's dive into to, to DM like from a, from a product perspective. So um, one of the things I'm curious about is how you onboard users like What's different about from the starting experience? Like, if if somebody you know was using it for the first time, what are some things that they would notice that are distinctly different about starting using DM versus a you know pretty traditional uh, social network?
0: So I'll preface this that we are still evolving our onboarding process, but as with any product, but we uh, the first screen, for example, that you see when you click to create an account is DM is a safe space. Please like review our community like culture or whatever, and agree to our terms and conditions before moving forward. So you already from the outset are like okay, safe. I think people interpret very differently. It doesn't just mean safe from like harassment. To us, that also means like misinformation. It means uh, a lot of different things. Like safe can is sort of a blanket terminology. There, you then move through the process of sort of like choosing your pronouns. You choose your DM name, um, and your DM name doesn't have to be your real name. We don't ask you to upload a photo anywhere in the onboarding process, uh, which is very intentional. And then we move through to ask you what your interests are. So we want to make sure that the knowledge that you're seeing when you enter into the DM universe is relevant to your interests and is helping you sort of on your quest to learn more about them. So you then select your interests. And then what we do is I firmly believe in this idea of like giving before receiving and which is so crucial when you think about communities and so what we ask you to do is either we ask you do you want to share or seek knowledge in DM so if you click share we then uh, take you through a series of prompts that are like share a quote that inspired you recently, share a book that you really love. Why do you love it? Basically like prompting people to share a piece of knowledge that has helped them at some point or that they found interesting. If you click uh, seek knowledge, it takes you to... Um, The other path, which is for those who might be a bit more shy in off the bat sharing something, uh, and you can view all of the upcoming conversations that are happening in DM and you can just click attend. Um, So then you're like, okay, I'm getting a general gist of the products, sharing, seeking knowledge, whatever. And then you get taken into the DM universe um, and you're presented with information relevant to your interests. You can see stuff happening um, and you kind of go from there.
1: That's really cool. I I would love to see that someday, and that actually brings me to this other question I've had in the back of my head. T- tell me what, what what your vision is for this. Is it to continue to grow within the existing community you serve, or like, do you envision a world where, say, like men are allowed on the platform? What What does that look like?
0: I do think that it will happen, um, probably at some point, but not. I don't think the word ally is the right word to use here, but I can't think of any other terminology right now. I believe that men can exist within DM, but in the role as like being an ally. So our mission statement is to close the gender power gap. um, And we can't do that if we exclude ourselves. And so we believe like there is a role for any gender identity or any person really to have some sort of purpose in bringing that mission to life
1: it's like a hard question to ask and trying to articulate it but it's like i feel like to create safe environments you have to be exclusive and there's almost and then there's a word like related we like saying exclusionary which has really negative connotation it's the opposite of being inclusive but it's almost to, i don't know from my perspective it feels like that's what's required to really create safe environments, because if they're not exclusive in some way, then you create this platform that then is not inclusive. It's almost counterintuitive in my mind. So it does feel like the path to do what you're doing requires exclusion for for, for a while. But that's why I was just curious if if that's like the vision for long-term that's always like that, or if it's like, well, we're we're building that until it's sort of like, I don't know, it's maybe more closer to what we want And it's safer to bring other people on board without disrupting that or what that sort of looks like. It's got to be a tough balance to figure out if, you know, when that moment would even come to pass.
0: Yeah. And I think also in a world where language changes as frequently it does as it does at the moment in terms of like identity, in terms of like literally anything, our language changes so frequently. We'll evolve like or like maybe even lead the way to others evolving um, in the terms that they're using As we sort of see development within society, I do think that there's like such a huge task at hand to close the gender power gap. And you can see that at play at almost every intersection of like every part of our society is this huge imbalance of power that often centers around gender and definitely around race and sexuality and all of those sorts of things. But we actually say it's funny you say making it exclusive. In our brand book, um, when we describe the DM voice, one of the ways we describe it is exclusively inclusive. um, And that's very intentional. Um, And I think it's like very interesting to think of how that could evolve in the future.
1: Well, how do you do that now? So how do you like what, give me an example of how that manifests itself in your brand or your brand voice right now, this exclusively inclusive?
0: A few ways in terms of our tone and our, and our, and our voice. um, We sort of jokingly say the DM universe has the same energy that exists in the women's bathroom of a crowded bar at one in the morning. Uh, Anyone that has been in the women's bathroom of a crowded bar at one in the morning will instantly know what I'm talking about, but we're strangers. We can bond together. We have shared experiences of identifying as a woman or a binary person, whatever it might be we use. And so as a platform, we want to use language that sort of recognizes that we all have our own life journeys, I guess, um, our their own opinions. Um, and so we want our voice to sort of be respectful and welcoming of those that have different viewpoints. Um, fundamentally believe that if we all come together as a collective, we all sort of become more powerful because we become more exposed to other lives and to other pieces of knowledge, to other experiences that others sort of bring to the table.
1: I don't even know what a bar is like at 1am in the morning. It's been, uh, when was the last time I saw that? Maybe 2005. <laughs> it's been a while, but I can only imagine. But yeah, that's a that's an interesting way of putting it. We haven't really talked about why Facebook is terrible yet. And I kind of want to, even though we've covered most of the things and I'm staring at my notes and I am like, oh, I haven't even talked about why Facebook is terrible yet. So why is Facebook terrible? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to actually answer that. I can. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so why, why do you agree with me that Facebook is terrible?
0: I think it goes back to a little bit about what I was saying earlier around the financial model of the business. And also a big thing that I always come back to is like Facebook is incredible in so many ways. Like they connected so many people, they created so many small businesses. There's a lot that has positive that has come from Facebook existing, like DM might not exist if Facebook hadn't existed sort of thing. Um, And to preface everything I'm about to say, I do genuinely recognize the value of the platforms that exist. What I do think is bad is how they have scaled um, upon realizing their impact. I believe that like ad revenue models that you've seen it evolve throughout industries. It started in with flyers, magazines, advertising has evolved as media has evolved. And so that is an obvious choice as to why they would go that path makes a lot of money. Um, and I think that that is my main problem with Facebook is The impact, they basically aligned all of their values to creating more money um, and incentivizing humans to change their behavior for Facebook to make more money, which just is wrong in my opinion. Like you can be naive when you start a platform, sure, which I believe that they probably were. They didn't realize the world impact it would go on to have, but you can't be naive as you start to see your real world presence.
1: Well, I think if they had involved some people from the liberal arts, they might have foreseen some of it, but you know, whatever, that's, it's water under the bridge, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. <laughs> um, the the other interesting sort of negative impact I've been curious about is is Instagram. And I think it's a different flavor of of terrible, which I, I'm on both. I, I post on Instagram a little bit. I don't know why, but I do. And I don't, I could live without it. It doesn't really affect my life much, but I think about it a lot more. So I have a, I have a 12 and an eight year old. And so my son started sixth grade this year and we, we got him a phone, but we like wrote up these rules about how to use the phone. And one of the rules was that he's not allowed on any social networks. And I won't rant about this for too long, but that whole exercise for us got, I had to start thinking about the specifics on, you know, why, you know, we were concerned about it. And so we had to write it up and explain it to him. But it kind of boiled down to the fact that it's a little bit like driving where I, you need to sort of understand what the Internet is like a little bit more before you get to do that, because just like you talked about the scale of Facebook being unchecked. I think you can use technology without thinking about it and you can wake up with an addiction or with, you know, a negative self-image. So we were just like, look, we need you to sort of like have training wheels on so you can figure out how to use this because there's a lot of adults who are miserable using this because they don't think about it. Anyway, so it's like a long-winded story to sort of tell that that's when I really started reflecting on the whole problem. Then this came out to the surprise of probably literally nobody that Instagram was, <laughs> was harmful, detrimental to the young girls. And I was like, seriously, this is on CNN? But it's like, yeah, of course it is. But what's tough about that one to me is it's a little bit different because it's like, I accept that people's version of themselves on Instagram is like a veneer. I still like it. Like I see one, I want to see pictures of, you know, my friend's kids that are back in California. Like I still want to see it, even though I know there's like 17 tantrums for everyone's smile pose I see. That's fine. Like we get it. But a lot of people, I think, don't think about that. But I'm curious how you avoid that trap, because I do feel like what technology does inherently do is it makes portraying yourself in a way, in any way easier. So it's almost like easier to create the image of who you are. But have you thought about that and the challenges around that and how you prevent that from happening?
0: Yes, I have spent so much of my time (laughs) thinking about this. I mean, before. I have a lot of thoughts around the impact on uh, mental health, specifically the mental health of teen girls. I actually wrote an article called me, my teen self and Instagram, where I reflected on um, being a teen girl and like my insecurities and everything that I was thinking at the time. And, but I was, I was, I had Facebook, I had BBM messenger, I had MSN, I had Bebo. I had, I actually had Twitter, I think at the, like, and Facebook from when I was like, maybe 14. So, but a lot of my media and insecurity stemmed from like media, print media, like magazines, like 17 Magazine, OK Magazine, whatever it might be. Um, And so I basically wrote from this perspective of like, I knew all these things were happening and I can't even imagine what it would be like if I had that insecure, like that thing that would fuel my insecurity at my fingertips. So off of that, I have... lot of thoughts around digital identities specifically um which you just touched on both negative and positive i think when your digital identity is centered around your body image that's problematic i think when your digital identity and the ability to have multiple digital identities in association with your interests or your things that you're good at or things that you want to learn more about i think that's actually can be very positive so I'm happy to dive into both of those, whichever you would like me to do first.
1: Well, I'm interested on that last one because I was curious, like, do you think that the anonymity that has been sort of innate in, in the internet is good? Or do you think that that is part of the problem?
0: I think it can be harnessed for good. I think if the purpose of being anonymous is to ask the things that you felt uncomfortable asking when you were yourself, 100% so, so helpful and also so, so helpful specifically for, I don't know, speaking to my personal experience. There were so many things about my body, even so many things about my body still that when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I would feel so uncomfortable posting that anywhere. Like it's such an awkward time and it's such a horrible time, a lot of, like most of the time. And if you have places where maybe they, maybe you're not, it doesn't say you're an anonymous user, it's, just that your digital identity in that place could be a different username. Like you could pick, I have friends who have like burner accounts who they use just to update their friends. It's like their Finster. Uh, and that's like a version of their digital identity. So I actually think is a really interesting exploration around what digital identities actually mean and how we actually already all have multiple versions. Like you have different identities when you talk on LinkedIn, than you do on Twitter, then you do on Instagram, uh, then you do to your parents than you do to your best friends in your group message. Like there's so many different ways we present ourselves, which can potentially be encapsulated for good uh, in the right using, like building the right technology to facilitate it. Um, And and what I would be really excited about is, I don't know, say say that I was really interested in, I think like crypto, this is already happening and you have NFTs as your profile picture. And that's kind of cool because you're like, Oh, I'm exploring this thing. I'm really interested in and I like fit in with this community. Cause like this is my face to the world as a part of this community, I'm not doing bad things and just exploring and building myself within this community and building my knowledge. Uh, similarly, I think that if you are say an ex, like a, I don't know, like a, I could qualify as an expert in marketing. Uh, what if in DM, I wanted to like really lean into building out my, knowledge and like sharing my knowledge around marketing in, in DM and you could build out a different digital identity for yourself there. And I don't think it's problematic if you're not centered on like negative attributes of yourself that you're trying to improve.
1: Okay. I'm sold. I usually take the other position. I because I always felt like the biggest mistake that was ever made with the internet was the anonymous side, which like, I mean that was like intentional, but I but again, I think I come from the more pessimistic perspective of like, that's what the, the abusive bullies are hiding behind.
0: I think there needs to be protections around it for sure. Protections around what that actually means in practice. And uh, something I think a lot about is moderation tools and how we still build moderation tools the same way that we deliver a, like, prevention of sexual harassment, for example. It's very much on the victim to protect themselves. Um, and so there's a lot, I think, that's tied into actually how we build technology to prevent be- certain behaviors from occurring for the most part, then also sort of ties to how people show up as digital identities.
1: So there's one topic we talked about before we got on, which was you mentioned to me that somehow building products for women in non-binary. You know, people somehow gets political. And that was interesting to me, too, because I kind of everything gets political, which probably has its roots and stuff beyond the topic of this conversation. But I also when you said that, I was like, yeah, it, it does feel that way. But why does it like that? That is weird. Like, why, why, why did that happen?
0: I think it really stems. I'm currently writing, a I guess, like an op ed on this because I've been something I've realized a lot recently is. It basically comes back to power. It comes back to who holds power. And people who hold power want to control and hold their power, sort of thing. They don't want to lose their power. Um, and I think that a lot of the time building products, say, for women to become more powerful, say, like building products that are designed for a female experience mean that they are then getting something that could empower them in some shape or form in their life, which then could take away power from, I really hate the term patriarchy, but like the patriarchy essentially from who owns our current society or most of the infrastructure around our society and who designed it. So I think a lot of building products for women and building products for women or binary folks as we are stems back to the idea that we are taking power back in some way, which feels wrong to people but it really isn't. It's like, why shouldn't humans have things designed for them? They're just human beings that are trying to live in this world as anyone else is. And why is it so problematic that people automatically think it's vaguely controversial that you would specify your demographic from a market, as someone who's built marketing campaigns, you have to specify who your audience is, whether the audience is like a gender identity, whether the audience is like, an age group, whether like whoever it is, you you have to specify, otherwise the business and what you're trying to achieve is never going to be ex- successful. It goes back to that idea of being exclusive.
1: I think you're right there. And I, well, I think I've, I've started to realize more over the last couple of years, how much the the fear of losing power is either consciously or subconsciously at play. So, you know, tying it to that, I think it makes sense. I have one last question for you. Everything you're saying, I can't help but think how easy it would be to be cynical and negative and pessimistic. But, um, and I know it's a bit innate in any founder to be idealistic. But you're operating in a space and you're creating something that is inherently a counter movement against something negative. How do you stay optimistic in building something like this?
0: For me, it doesn't feel like we're countering anything for me, the way I phrase it to myself (laughs) to avoid being overwhelmed, I think it's more around recognizing, honestly, just like recognizing how incredible humans are. Like, like all of my female friends, all of my, like all of my friends, like, especially like those who are women are so incredible. They're so powerful. They're so everything. They're just like, amazing and and i genuinely want every <laughs> woman every non binary person in the world to like recognize that they are powerful that they are this incredible human being that like unfortunately has experienced instances of harassment but that's the, not their whole being it's not your whole experience of life i have so many more of my life is joyful than it is negative and and a lot of conversation around i don't know at least speaking to being a woman a lot of the conversation around it is so like oh, like you need help or like, let me help you or you need this thing or like, oh my God, you're, you're so underrepresented. And I'm like, we're not underrepresented. We're systematically excluded. There's completely different. And as a result, just like recognizing your power. And I think that that's like what we wanna do with DM is like make people recognize their power and like pass their power.
1: Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product Community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget, The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.